Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, instability continues to reign on the ASU coaching staff. That was the news that broke over the weekend. Chip Lindsey departing the Sun Devils program for the same position, the offensive coordinator job with Auburn under Gus Malzahn and the Tigers. So, Chris, in 2017, the Sun Devils will have their third offensive coordinator in three seasons. Not exactly ideal situation, especially when you have a program coming off of back-to-back losing seasons and you have a defensive coordinator that's new and you're making a, a massive change there structurally in, in terms of uh, the leadership on that side of the football and, and Todd Graham giving up control. At least um, it seems as though that's going to be that's the plan. But um, Chip Lindsey, it, it always kind of made sense that he would probably want to get back to the South just didn't expect that maybe it would happen after one season. He's from Alabama originally, uh, coached under Gus Malzahn one season as an analyst. Gus Malzahn recommended Graham, uh, that Graham hire uh, Chip Lindsey uh, when, when uh, Mike Norvell left ASU for Memphis head coaching position. Uh, our sources have, have told us that Auburn administration wanted to go in a different direction there. Uh, their, their goal was really to hire a veteran presence, somebody that would allow Gus Malzahn to take on much more of a managerial role and uh, other responsibilities uh, beyond just the offense, which he's been very uh, tethered to throughout his tenure. But uh, what happened is the, the the guys that they really had targeted for that role ended up uh, electing not to go there. Um, Malzahn is a coach who's uh, probably needed to have a good season this past year to, in order to uh, give himself some job stability. They did that. But moving forward, it, it was something that maybe other coaches felt like was a tenuous situation. And they so uh, ultimately, Gus Malzahn uh, was able to go to Chip Lindsey. Um, he's getting a, a slight raise, but he's getting a three-year contract. It's very stabilizing. Um, and of course, the, being a coordinator at the SEC level is a good launching pad for subsequent opportunities. Um, his, his, his family's from there. His wife is from there. Uh, if things do go downhill with Gus Malzahn, that's um, not necessarily going to be attributed to Chip Lindsey. So 2013-2014 for ASU, a pair of 10-win seasons under Todd Graham. Three years into his tenure, he'd racked up 28 wins. But after the 2015 season, the Sun Devils' first sub-500 campaign under Graham, 6-7, and seven, it culminated in that Cactus Bowl loss against West Virginia. Since that point, Graham's tenure has been marked by instability on his coaching staff. And you look at the 2015 offseason, you had Mike Norvell become the head coach at Memphis. He departed from the ASU offensive coordinator position, took a handful of offensive assistants or a handful of assistants with him, including Paul Randolph, Chris Ball, who became the defensive coordinator, Chip Long, who became the offensive coordinator. So he really took from Graham's staff and gave assistant coaches promotions to larger roles within that Memphis program. Jackie Ship also left. The Sun Devils had to replace Bo Graham. So last season, the Sun Devils had five new coaches on Graham's coaching staff. And in 2016, the Sun Devils put together a five and seven campaign. The Sun Devils are forced to hire Phil Bennett as the defensive coordinator. Chip Lindsey now departs. Dell Alexander, the only holdover from Todd Graham's original staff compiled in 2012, leaves for Notre Dame. Chris Thompson departs for his alma mater at TCU. So once again, the Sun Devils have to start over on this coaching staff. 
the, the optics of this are bad. Uh, and, and the reason being, of course, is Todd Graham's um, started out very strong in his tenure at ASU, uh, back-to-back 10-win seasons in years two and three. Then they take a step back, uh, and they've uh, had losing seasons the last two years. And so when you have all this coaching turnover, it, it looks tumultuous uh, on the outside of the program. And if Todd Graham had had all of this coaching change, uh, and and um, yet he had remained successful in terms of the win-loss record, then people would probably look at Ty Graham as a juggernaut and one of the best coaches in the country. But it, it's the combination of having losing seasons with the turnover that creates this optical uh, problem for Graham. And, and, and really, I, I think here it's only um, partly attributable to uh, any sort of uh, – problems at ASU. I, I'm much more so, um, the reason all this coaching change has happened is um, coaches have been perceived as successful uh, at ASU. That's what enabled Chip Long uh, to become the offensive coordinator for, for, for Mike Norvell. Todd Graham elected to not elevate Chip Long. That's what en- enabled uh, Chris Ball to become the defensive coordinator uh, for Mike Norvell. Those three coaches all uh, elevated, of course, Norvell getting the head coaching job. Everybody's going to take that when they when they get an opportunity. And then, of course, you had this year uh, also on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Jay Norvell, of course, is going to take a head coaching job going from ASU to be a receivers coach to being the head coach at Nevada. Chip Lindsey, as we talked about, he's getting better stability going home, um, a little bit more pay, and it, it probably is a better launching pad for him subsequently in his career. Um, of, out of all these coaches that have turned over, and really only Keith Patterson is left from the 2015 staff at ASU in a reduced role uh, moving forward, mind you. But uh, only Bo Graham and uh, Paul Randolph are guys that, that didn't uh, take either more money or more responsibility or both um, as they decided to, to move on. And um, you have even with Chris Thompson and with Jackie Ship uh, coaches who moved much closer to their home base. Uh, at the time that Jack, Jackie Ship made his decision, his mom was ailing and he was going to be able to be within a couple hour car drive of her making more money at Missouri. That didn't work out for him because he was fired after this past year. But Chris Thompson is originally from that central Texas area. Uh, he went to school and played football and baseball at TCU. So now he's going back to one, an alma mater. He is within 90 minutes, he told me, of where his parents live and the rest of his family. And he's not taking any kind of a salary hit. Um, so it, it's it, it's easy to see individually why all these coaching moves make sense and are really uh uh, advancements in the, the, these coaches' careers, with the exception of Bo Graham and um, and uh, Paul Randolph, um, but that's really just two coaches out of the ten plus coaches um, who are about ten who have um, have moved on from ASU in the last couple of years. And, and Bo Graham left, uh, isn't coaching now. He was involved in a inappropriate relationship with a student athlete. Um, and and uh, Paul Randolph was demoted and taken off the field. So th- those are the reasons that those guys are gone. But but 
again, the optics of it are really bad because it the, this is happening after two bad seasons. There was already a perception of Todd Graham as being sort of a difficult coach to work for or maybe even a carpetbagger. Uh, but as we pointed out in a, a recent uh, member column that we wrote, Todd Graham has now been uh, the head coach at two schools for nine of his 11 years as a head coach. And a lot of the talk about him being someone to immediately bolt for the next opportunity now no longer is discussed. And it's, it's going to be replaced by is Todd Graham going to be able to keep his job at ASU beyond 2017? Well, the Lindsay departure creates an interesting conundrum because Graham will be hiring a different offensive coordinator for the second straight off season. And some of the new offensive assistants, Rob Likens, the wide receivers coach, uh, Josh, Josh Henson. Josh Henson. That's right. Josh Henson, the new offensive line coach for ASU, were handpicked guys by Chip Lindsey to work under him on this offensive staff for the Sun Devils. So now moving forward, Todd Graham uh, has the opportunity to create a new offensive coordinator or to hire a new offensive coordinator, but he's got coaches on his staff who are really set up for Lindsey's system. And on our premium report, Uh, report podcast this week, Chris, we detailed all of the different elements that will go into this hire, what the short-term and what the medium-term and the long-term ramifications of the new offensive coordinator hire will be. And we also created a list of candidates that we think that Todd Graham will take a look at. Yeah, we we really spent about 45 minutes uh, fleshing all of this stuff out in great detail what it means immediately for the program from a recruiting standpoint, what it means in terms of transitioning the offense from 2016 to 2017, stylistically, uh, Chip Lindsey's impact on Todd Graham and structurally and what that uh, uh, may influence in in Graham's um, thought process now as he looks to replace him moving forward. Uh, And then we did, of course, uh, talk about probably six to eight candidates or potential perspective candidates uh, based upon guys that makes a lot of sense to us. And we talked about Todd Graham's history of hiring offensive coaches and the success that he's had and what that may portend uh, for the future um, in in this move. And and really uh, the significance of all of these factors um, coming together, uh, the the, the cross-section of what's going on in the program right now with the defensive changes, the the, the big offensive uh, overhaul that's not going to have to happen for the second year in a row, and recruiting, and where Ty Graham stands in his tenure, and I think I think you, um, you know, for the non-members, I think who really want uh, to know all of the stuff at a more granular level, that's something that you're going to really uh, enjoy listening to. Yeah, after the 45 minutes on Chip Lindsay and what that means for the program, we also spent a lot of time talking about the individual recruitments of ASU's priority targets. Chris, we went through Austin Jackson, KJ Jarrell, and Isaiah Polamau, the local prospects who ASU obviously has a lot of interest in. We provided updates on Evan Fields, George Moore, Tariq Lewis, Jalen Johnson, Jalen Red. I mean, the list goes on of, of players that we really dove into the recruitments of. And if you're not familiar with some of these names, we really encourage you to sign up for Sun Devil Source, get on the Devil Sanctuary board, and learn about the talent acquisition process because there's so much going on behind the scenes for ASU right now. We really try to provide as 
in-depth of a snapshot as we possibly could with less than 10 days remaining until National Signing Day. So if you, you want to get in and join the triple-digit number of subscribers we picked up last week with our flash sale, now is still a great time to do so. Yeah, we had a, a great response to that flash sale, and that's something that uh, has really meant a lot to us annually. We tend to have one of them, and it, it's 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 really resonated uh, with the audience. And um, there was some immediate feedback that I received from from some of those people who had never been uh, inside of our, our premium community before and, and seen the content. And I think a lot of people, carry believe I can follow this relatively closely on social media and some of the free content and stories that are out there and, and sort of piece together a general idea of what's going to happen in recruiting. But then when you actually get into uh, the devil sanctuary, you see our premium stories, the way that we break down uh, our big board uh, of, of targets that we basically um, have as a mirror to what ASU is trying to do in, in the recruiting process. It just gives you a wealth of perspective that you're just not going to get from um, trying to just cobble it all together uh, based upon free reporting and social media. And, and, uh, and then beyond that, of course, we have very extensive analysis uh, and evaluations on all the recruits and, um, and the position specifically, what ASU's needs are, all these kinds of things. And, and so we just went on a long rundown mm-hmm. of basically all of the top remaining targets that are on the board for ASU, uh, who their finalists are, where ASU's positioning is relative to the others uh, in, in the last week and a half of this process, and, um, and what our expectations are for how this class finishes for ASU. And um, very exciting you know, for ASU fans who are local also or just like following this stuff because, of course, you have K.J. Jarrell, Isaiah Polamau, Austin Jackson, the three biggest fish in state that are left out there swimming around that ASU is trying to reel in. And ASU already signed the two other of the top five prospects in the state uh, in uh, – not signed, but they have committed, I should say, right? Um, you have Tyler Johnson and Ryan Kelly, uh, the quarterback and the defensive end from the East Valley or defensive end slash tight end prospect. So ASU's never signed uh, all five of the top uh, in-state prospects who are all four stars. It's never happened before. And it, it, it's probably a long shot this year as, as well. But I don't even know if ASU signed four out of the five. That's something we're going to have to look at. Uh, after we're done with this, Kerry, but there's a there, there's a definitely a possibility that they could sign three or four, uh, put together one of the better in-state recruiting classes uh, in recent years, based upon how these these guys are shaping up for the finish, and um, and then there's also uh, the possibility of their overall 2017 class exceeding expectations in light of how uh, their their record has been on the field the last two years and um, and uh, all this coaching turnover. In the past 10 years, ASU has signed the top-ranked player in the state of Arizona just once. That was 2008 when Dennis Erickson signed Jarrell Robinson. In five of the last 10 years, ASU has failed to sign one of the top three players in a class in the state of Arizona. So the Sun Devils obviously uh, could make some significant headway in the Valley and throughout the state of Arizona if they're able to close on some of these top targets. We got updates on Austin Jackson, updates on Isaiah Polamau, updates on K. J. Jarrell, but Chris, 
I think one of the most important things we did this week is provide some perspective about the depth in this ASU recruiting class right now and the depth of their target board because in nine days or so, ASU is going to announce its 2017 signing class and everything you hear on signing day is all positive from coaches and around the country and rightfully so because you hear how important all of these prospects are, how much of a difference they're all going to make. But what we did this week is we talked about the prospects that are still high priority targets for ASU who would clearly help this class perhaps move into the top 25 of the overall scout team rankings. But we also talked about the plan B options and something you'll you'll be able to do if you get on the board this week, if you're able to subscribe to Sun Devil Sources, you'll have a great idea for certain players that ASU is targeting. Maybe you see they sign a certain player on signing day, and Todd Graham speaks of him as one of the most important defensive line prospects in the country. Well, in reality, that player might have been a Plan B prospect that the Sun Devils only recently tripped. There, so yeah. there's a, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and that's why it's so important that you're getting that perspective, that you're not just feeding into this notion that every program has on signing day that it signed the best class in program history. Yeah, that this this speaks to really our our overarching uh, goal as at Sun Devil Source. We're trying to allow fans of the program that they're so passionate about to have a really good uh, BS detector or or to be able to cut through a lot of the rhetoric and get right to the heart of what's going on in the program and, and how does that measure up against what's being said? And, and there's, uh, uh, based upon 15 years of experience covering recruiting, you, you, and, and then also having really good sources on the ground and talking to these kids and finding out when they started to get recruited by these coaches and how that process unfolded. It gives you a very clear understanding of the pecking order who really are the top targets, what they're trying to accomplish. We have sources that are telling us how they want to finish their classes at all these different position groups. And, and that, that allows you to put the, the whole puzzle together in a way that you can measure against what's articulated from Todd Graham on signing day and, and what, what they say in terms of the sales process of, of their recruits, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and part of this is we also give our own independent evaluations of the, the, the prospects. And one of the things that we did, uh, I did recently on the board, I, I looked at a three-class cycle and the seven lowest recruits that we had uh, in each of those three classes under Graham. And, and um, what we saw is that only one out of the 20, out of 21 players ended up a multi-year starter uh, and only one other was a starter at all. Uh, and the other 19 have been reserves or guys that, that haven't made it and, and, and have uh, had to be moved out of the program. And so um, we, we have the ability to really project in a, in a very reliable way um, which of these guys are going to be able to make an impact and to what degree. Not to say that we're going to be that we're not going to be wrong sometimes because obviously you are, and there's been a number of guys that we thought would be better than they have turned out, and guys still have to take it upon themselves to um, uh, make good on all of their potential and their talent, right? And sometimes you're 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 going to make mistakes on the evaluation side, but uh, but I, I think you it, it, again it gives you a much better idea of if if, if Graham is, is or somebody else is really selling uh, certain recruits. And yet we we have them in the bottom third of ASU's class from an evaluation standpoint. It gives you um, 
a really good barometer by which to measure the rhetoric against the what the real expectations probably should be. Additionally, last week, ASU's 2017 schedule came out, Chris. Uh, the Pac-12 released the entire conference schedule. We already knew the Sun Devils' non-conference opponents, New Mexico State, San Diego State, and Texas Tech, in that order. But we learned what the Sun Devils' schedule will look like for 2017. Seven home games. It's a Pac-12 South heavy slate at the end of the season. Uh, five conference home games and four games at home against teams that won at least 10 games in 2016. So just your initial thoughts on the schedule. I'll run through it real quick. ASU opens on Thursday, August 31st at home against New Mexico State. I love Thursday home games. I know no one else does uh, other than I do. you, Chris. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, but we're a little disappointed not to see more Thursday games on no the schedule, There's no other Thursday games on the schedule. No other Thursday games, schedule, games right? on it. But the Sun Devils follow that up with a home date against San Diego State, a team that won, I believe, 11 games this season, including a Las Vegas Bowl win over Houston. Then Top 25 yeah. in the final ranking, right? Rocky Long. Yeah. Uh, then they travel to take on Texas Tech, who will not have Patrick Mahomes next season before opening their Pac-12 slate at home against the Oregon Ducks. Willie Taggart's Pac-12 debut. They'll hit the road the following week and take on the Stanford Cardinal, who they've missed in the last two regular seasons. That's the first game in which transfer quarterback Blake Barnett will be eligible for the Sun Devils. So obviously a lot of intrigue heading into that week about whether Barnett will play. Following week, the Sun Devils have a bye October 7th, but then they return home October 14th to take on the Washington Huskies, a team that was in the college football playoff. Hit the road October 21st for Salt Lake City to take on the Utah Utes. Back home for a pair of Pac-12 South games against USC to round out October and Colorado to start November before hitting the road in two straight weeks, UCLA November 11th. Oregon State November 18th in a game that's guaranteed to be a blizzard, and Arizona on November 25th, the Territorial Cup, to round things out. I'm looking forward to that blizzard in Corvallis. Oh, I am not. Um, it, the last time that we went there, I don't know if you were there, Kerry, but it I was, was not. Yeah, it, it, it was the coldest game I remember, uh, and that was, of course, when ASU lost as a favorite on the road, and it cost them the, the South Um but um, I think overall, it's a pretty good schedule yeah. for ASU, right? Um, you get uh, five games in the Pac-12 at home. You alternate between five at home and four at home every year because you play nine. So this is the year where they get that extra home game. Uh, the bye week is probably a little bit earlier than you would like, but it's in a pretty good location, uh, all things considered. Yeah, you get an extra week to prepare for Washington. Exactly. You get that week to prepare for Washington. And, and by the way, that is also probably the most important stretch of your schedule because immediately after that you have Utah, USC and Colorado and UCLA all south games. I think it's probably you would probably prefer to have your south opponents later on in the schedule. Um, especially when you have Blake Barnett who's probably going to miss the first four games and has an opportunity to get into some kind of a rhythm. The bye week is probably in a good place if you're going to make a quarterback change at some point. Getting Oregon early is probably good as a home game. Because they have a, a big coaching transition that's happening there also. And they're a little bit of a younger team that's that's going to be uh, assimilating to what's going on. Um, and then I, and then I, I always like playing uh, ASU playing Arizona at the end of the schedule. There have been some times when they've pl played Arizona in the penultimate game of the season. Mm -hmm. and I'm not really a big fan of that. And this time it's on a Saturday. 
which then gives you a little bit more uh, flexibility with your Thanksgiving weekend. I think that's good. I agree that generally speaking, I'd rather have more Thursday games. It, it, it for us, it frees up our weekends more. Um, but that's really uh, <laughs> uh, that's really irrelevant completely yeah. to the listeners of this podcast. The other thing is you probably don't want to play USC UCLA back to back. Yeah, the first time in what four years that they haven't played the LA schools back to back. I think I think there's one year in there that they didn't. Yeah. Um, maybe three out of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but 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 Colorado is the sandwich school that's in between there. And, and Colorado is going to be facing a lot of uh, turnover with its its top personnel, but that's still going to be a tough game and a very important game at home. I, I think uh, two, two, two important things here. Todd Graham needs at least seven wins, I think, to be able to feel comfortable about his job moving forward. Eight would definitely really secure his, his situation moving into the next year. That first five-game stretch... New Mexico State, San Diego State, Texas Tech, Oregon, Stanford, you got to win at least three of those games. You have to. You have to win at least three of those games. And if you win four, if you could somehow get four, that really sets you up to be in a really great place after the bye week to be able to get uh, to whoever your quarterback is that you want it to be, get some stability and and finish off kind of strong. Something that I note is the back end of the schedule, you face Colorado, which is going to lose so many of their key players. They lose defensive coordinator Jim Levitt uh, as well. And so that's a team that probably won't win 10 games next year. It's probably going to be on the downturn, likely close, much closer to 500. New quarterback and, and mm-hmm. some of their better players. But then you finish the season with three straight teams who were at the bottom of the Pac-12 last year, the three teams that were really with ASU. It's UCLA, Oregon State, and Arizona. And sure, the Bruins will have Josh Rosen back. That game is in Pasadena, where the Sun Devils have actually won their past two trips. But you got Oregon State on the road against a team that should still be very, uh, a very winnable game against. And then Arizona at home, the Sun Devils looking for revenge. So there's the possibility that even if ASU has that tough stretch during the middle of the season when you really face Stanford, Washington, Utah, and USC, if the Sun Devils start strong enough and Blake Barnett or whoever the quarterback is at that point in the season can get into a rhythm, that there's the possibility that ASU could run the table from November on, and that would really bring stability to Todd Graham and set the stage moving forward for a 2018 season in which the Sun Devils should have a lot of multi-year starters back. Yeah, I think if if the goal, one of the goals should be to try to be a five-win team going into November. Because mm-hmm. you got those last four games, you're probably going to be favored in two or three of those games. Uh, if you can get to Colorado, UCLA, Oregon State, and Arizona with five wins, you got a really good chance to at least get seven wins, maybe eight wins. If you're sitting on four wins when you when when, when you get to that part in the schedule, it's going to be very dicey moving forward. Um, and if somehow you're able to be at six wins plus, well, then, then you're, you've got a ten win season then, possibility then, adding a bowl game in. Then you've put yourself into a really great situation moving forward, and that's why carry that first five game stretch. It's so important because the odds of you uh, being able to win two out of three against Washington, Utah, USC are very low. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if you win one of those three games, you're probably doing pretty good. Uh, but 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 you want to try to be able to get through that stretch, the first half, first four, first five games strong. Then that really difficult stretch, at least you know, feeling okay about your your 
overall team integrity to where you can really pounce on that last uh, uh, four games of the schedule and get yourself not just uh, sneaking into a bowl, but very comfortably into a bowl. If the Sun Devils are going to make those improvements, they're going to have to start with improvement in their defensive backfield. 128th in the FBS in pass defense in back-to-back seasons. Another ASU programming program that's struggling on the defensive side of the ball, Chris, is the ASU basketball team, which right now Ooh. ranks 328th out of 351 NCAA Division I teams in defensive efficiency. To put that in perspective, the next closest high major school is LSU, which ranks 271st in defensive efficiency, a cool 57 slots ahead of the Sun Devils. Yeah, this isn't a um, visual podcast, uh, but... <laughs> If it was, in parenthesis, would be the Chris Cartman gif right now <laughs> of me uh, shaking my head on the Sun Devil Stadium, uh, uh, Frank Cush Field turf. The ASU defense is just really bad, uh, historically bad. Um, the worst uh, uh, defense that uh, I can remember in all my years covering the program, probably, at least going back uh, to the transition from uh, Bill Frieder uh, to to Newman, uh, where he was an interim coach for a year, and then and then Rob Evans came in, uh, late '90s, and and, um, and and part of this, of course, is because Bobby Hurley's playing a, a up and down uh, offense. You know, he's he's really trying to be a tempo team, and they're a little bit um, faster and more loose with their shot selection, and um, they're not playing a a, a lot of the conventionally a lot of coaches when you're less talented you want to take the air out of the ball you want to play a lower possession game um, because the every uh, the more possessions is more uh, opportunity for the opponent to basically uh, uh, um, take advantage of their talent the talent disparity advantage that they have over you well that's not really what Hurley's approach has been and you can clearly see that that Hurley is going to Try to be a team that's going to be exciting and play an up and down brand of basketball and let players play really freely on the offensive end. But, um, but yeah, their their defense is bad and they don't have much that they're going to be able to do to fix that this year because you, you're you're down to seven, maybe eight guys that you can play in your rotation. You have no uh, front court presence other than Jethro Chishumpa, who spends more time either on his rear end on the court or uh, on the bench on his rear end than he probably does in, in, in game because he's so foul prone. Um, your other guys are just, even though Obi Aleka rebounds and he's you know almost an automatic double-double and, and has been very productive in that regard, he's not a, a, a defensive presence at the rim um, uh, per se. And, and Ramon Villa is um, probably somebody who wouldn't be playing much at all for you if you had uh, good front court players or he would be at least on the fringe of your rotation. But ASU hasn't done a very good job with its transition defense, its defensive rotations, its on-ball defense, its passing lane defense. It's just bad. And um, so you give up 100 points to UCLA, and then you come back and you give up, what do they give up against? I believe 82. Yeah. 82-79 was the final. 80 again. So I think that's uh, 12 games uh, out of like 20 um 20 games that ASU has given up uh, 80 points or more this season, which is 
uh, really bad. You can run through some of the numbers. Yeah, they're 338th out of 351 teams in the NCAA in opponents' points per game. Opponents have a field goal percentage better than 50%. It's 50.6%, which ranks ASU 298th in opponent field goal percentage. The Sun Devils clearly not defending well, regardless of which statistical measurement uh, you elect to use to categorize the Sun Devils' defense. ASU, we knew it had a difficult three-game stretch against Arizona, UCLA, and USC. The Sun Devils actually started Pac-12 play 2-1 and one with victories over Stanford and Colorado, a loss to Cal before losing to Utah, Arizona, UCLA, and USC in that order. But Chris, the Sun Devils do have an opportunity right now starting on Wednesday at home against Washington, and that will continue on through uh, mid-February when the Sun Devils play in Pullman against Washington State, where they're playing the weaker teams in the Pac-12. They've got Washington, Washington State at home before they travel to face the Oregon schools. Oregon, obviously, a much more difficult opponent than Oregon State before returning home for two games against Cal and Stanford, and then they hit the road to take on the Washington schools again. So if there's any time for ASU to make any sort of a jump in the standings, it is over the course of the next month. I think ultimately um, their best hope is try to somehow sneak into the NIT. And there's a a demarcation that we talked about in in the past uh, from the top of the Pac-12 to the bottom of the Pac-12. ASU's in in the bottom uh, tier of the Pac-12, but that really is about six schools, six or seven schools. And so they have it. If if everything really came together for them, maybe there would be a chance at being – a seven-win team in in the conference, and 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 given their very difficult strength of schedule, they maybe could sneak in to an NIT bid. I think it's I think it's very doubtful though at this point, and no way they would be an NCAA team. Their um, a goal, a reasonable goal at this point, would be to try to avoid being in the nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Um, schools because they have to play on the first day of the the Pac-12 tournament. If ASU could somehow get to like eighth or seventh even, that would put them into um, a chance to where maybe if they got hot shooting the basketball, because as as we've talked about, Kerry is a team that's very reliant on a three-point shot. Mm -hmm. If they somehow go to Vegas and they get hot in like a game or two, they could make some kind of a run there. um, Even though their their, their depth issues are really going to be limiting. Um, But I mean, let's look at it. Like ASU was was down twenty plus points against UCLA, cut that to seven, based upon just being able to go on these uh, offensive stretches where they can get really hot. Against USC, they were down by more than double digits for most of the game, really. But then there were a couple little stretches where they were able to cut it to within a basket, um, you know, within two or three points. And and that's because they have some offensive potency. And especially when you have Torian Graham, who could go off for, you know, 15 points and a half at any at any given point. Shannon Evans can get hot from shooting, shooting the basketball. Uh, you have a uh, disruptive uh, a guy who can break down uh, your opposing defenses and trail holder and create shot opportunities, but it, it just everything has to fall right. You have to to keep your best players out of foul trouble. You have to make shots, and then you have to have everybody kind of playing in sync for that to happen. And and more likely, you're probably going to see ASU end up as like a five and thirteen team or six and twelve or something like that in the league. Well, they're two and five in league right now. They play Wednesday night at home. Uh, nine o'clock start time. My goodness, uh, against Washington, and then they play on Sunday <laughs> against Washington State. Yeah, we're not a fan of the nine o'clock tips, <laughs> uh, but it's the 
TV rules the world in in college athletics. ESPNU. Looking forward to that one. Chris. Not really, but okay. <laughs> All right, that will do it for this week's episode. Chip Lindsay is out at Arizona State. The Sun Devils on the prowl looking for a new offensive coordinator. They're also looking to close their recruiting class strong. The Pac-12 schedule was released, and the Sun Devil basketball squad trying to make improvements with a favorable section of its schedule coming up in Pac-12 play. That will do it for publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Thanks for tuning in to the Sun Devil Source Report this week.